Hello and welcome to Footnotes of History, the podcast which peels back the layers of the past. With you, as always, are myself, Daniel Nesbitt, and the man who I think is the great reformer of podcasting, Tim Forpott. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. No I'm not really sure what I've reformed exactly. You've reformed the basis for it. For this, yeah. for this podcast. Yeah, no longer do people actually put effort into reading into it. We just go out and just, just set it. up and record. Yeah. yeah. I, Can I you trust so, the yeah. facts we put? Was, yeah. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I've got, I've got a lot of stuff written down. That's true, that's true. And I'm sure that must be that must be. Some of it must be Some of it must be relevant. We've <laughs> done some work on it. Anyway, um, but yeah, so um, what are we discussing today? That's today pretty... we're discussing Robert Peel, who Excellent. was a 19th century British Prime Minister, mm. um, and we're going to look at, in particular, three elements of his yeah. sort of legacy. And yeah. do you want to introduce them? Because I think you're there, three of your favourites. Yeah, so. absolutely. Three of my, definitely three of my favourites. Mm. Um, the funny thing about Robert Peel as well is he was actually Prime Minister for a very short time, yes. but absolutely astoundingly sort of... He, he was a man who actually for, did, for things. did yeah. things. I think he like faced up to issues and actually yeah. did stuff about yeah. them, which is quite refreshing. And the one chance he did get a power, he kind of blew it. But anyway, mm. so but yeah, so the three things we're going to discuss are the return to the gold standard after the Napoleonic Wars, the um, emancipation of Catholic uh, the Catholics and minority religions in Britain, and the repeal of the Corn Laws. We'll explain all three of these things as we come through to them. But I think these. These three milestones are the most positive things that Peel came um, sort of put through during his career. Mm. I think Peel, in general, is representative of a wider, wider, indicative of a wider trend uh, of I think changes in society and government before this period. I, I would say that which probably starts around 1776 with Adam Smith's Wealth of Nations and in the Declaration of American American Independence, um, and leads up probably to the mid 1840s, 50s. Um, when things start getting a bit imperialist, um, well, not not that they're not already, but you know, more openly. Kicks into so, a high gear. Exactly, yeah. Which is a trend where the state changes from an aggressive, assertive state, which pers- you know, is it, almost every crime is a death penalty crime, like almost constantly at war with other nations. Like slavery is everywhere, and it's uh, you know, sort of aggressive, sort of state that persecutes minorities, mm. for example, Catholics in Ireland, um, to a to a more of a I suppose warden state, which is more you know, equality before the law, free trade. We won't interfere with you too much as long as you just sort of basically behave yourself. Um, yeah. Peel, Peel, obviously was responsible for getting rid of quite a lot of those death penalties. So pickpocketing was, was worthy of death, death penalty in these days. Yeah, just to sketch him out a little bit. Um, Peel was born in February 1788 in mm. Bury in Lancashire. Um, he was the son of another Robert Peel, who was a, <laughs> probably the preeminent textile merchant of his day. So yeah. this is the end, very early Industrial Revolution. And Peel the Elder made a lot of money from mm. this from textiles, mm. and this is quite important for Peel because cotton, yeah, I think. yes, I think, yeah. and it's quite important in his sort of like going forward because he is seen you know, as new money. Yeah, Peel Senior, you kind of saw that he was never going to be able to mix with the old money type of thing, <laughs> and that you know he but he wanted yeah. his son to be able to. Yeah, um, and so Peel obviously then tried to trod a well-worn path for son of wealthy industrialists. Yeah. Well, and I, went... I think I think in some ways Peel was always almost always seen. Uh, you know, the, the, you know, Robert Peel Jr., the one who actually became prime minister, was actually always seen as slightly slightly outsider even even then. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. But um, yeah, but so Peel Peel Jr., um, the man we're looking at today, yeah. he went to university, did very well, got double first in. Yeah. Classic, classics and mathematics. Mathematics, yeah, yeah. classic yeah. mathematics. Yeah, um, and then, <laughs> but that's like classic because there are literally only two things you can do. Yeah. So he's, he's yeah. but he's excelled smashed at smashed them yeah. both. So, yeah, yeah. but then he, after a very brief stint, um, I tell you what's really interesting about this, right? Bit, sorry, just interrupt quickly, just completely tread all over your feet. But the um, he has to do this oral exam with an audience of mm-hmm. like you know hundreds almost of like the other students yeah. while he did the exam. 
it's like astonishing, like you know, that sort of you know, speaking, I think Greek and Latin, that was sort of, you know, classical. Um, How times have changed. Stuff. I know it's <laughs> astonishing, isn't it? We had to go through, but yeah, yeah, go on. We used to have to do that, I think, to even get in there, like during yeah. Isaac Newton's and other people's day to actually really? get into Oxford and Cambridge. You have to do, you had to do a similar thing in yeah. terms of show you could actually speak in all these dead languages. Yeah, but yeah. Anyway, thankfully that's not. Is that what an I? Is it an Iver? Not an Iver. My brother does one as part of his degree. This is probably going to be cut, but <laughs> anyway, never mind. Is your brother an 18th century scholar? <laughs> no, it's not. It's not really, uh, uh, yeah, uh, not as far as I know. Although he does study mathematics in the form of materials engineering. Anyway, no one cares. Okay. Yeah, so, um, yeah. go on. Sorry. Okay, so after his uh, double first at Oxford, yeah. um, he <laughs> spent a very brief phase as a law student. The other universe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, had a very, uh, then... Um, just about a year later, hmm. after after graduating from university, his father managed to secure him a rotten borough. In yeah, Ireland. yeah. It was uh, quite. It was, I read about this. It was yeah. like. It was, uh, yeah. Uh, so on the on eighteen oh nine, we're going to. It was almost like he brought them all into a room and said, "We're going to elect my son to be yeah. the uh, the MP for um, for Cashel and County yeah. Tipperary." So classic. Yeah. Go on. The, a classic bit of electioneering. If anyone's watching these series of Paul Dark, you'll see that. That was very much the case in those yeah. days because I think in one of the episodes, about five men go into a room and elect Poldark as an MP. <laughs> so <laughs> they're basically the same thing you have to hear. Yeah. But yeah. important thing to mention. And they could be bought as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they almost probably certainly was bought in this were, case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but like, so it's quite important to mention here that his two sponsors were Peel Senior and then also Arthur Wellesley, who would later become the Duke of Wellington. Mm. And this is kind of the very start of what was kind of the, the central relationship in Peel's political yeah. life, which was the alliance with Wellington. Mm. And it's clearly shown to go through his life by the fact that one of Peel's younger sons was actually called Arthur Wellesley, Arthur Wellesley Peel, really? after, <laughs> after his great friend. Yeah. Um, but so after becoming an MP, he gave a very well-received first speech in the House of Commons, which was yeah. um, by, by the Speaker of the time was said to be the best speech since Pitt the Younger. That's huge. Um, yeah. So he's kind of arrived as a kind of a bright star into Parliament. And then yeah. after that, he holds a succession of junior posts. Yeah. Um, so he's Undersecretary for War, yeah. Chief Secretary for Ireland. Mm. And then, leading into our first topic of the podcast, yeah. he is Chairman of what's called the Bullying Committee. And do you yeah. want to give a bit of background to what, what the Bullying Committee is? Absolutely, yeah. So the Bullying Committee was um, a parliamentary committee that was put together to discuss the prospect of returning the pound sterling to the gold standard. Now, what does this mean? Well, tell us, Tim. Tell yeah, us. I will tell you. I will tell you. We're fascinated. But the start, <laughs> start of the Napoleonic Wars. Well, it's, it's really important, actually. I think it's really I important. So, yeah, <laughs> calm down. Um, in 1797, at the uh, you know, sort of as the French Revolutionary Wars were sort of fading out, and well, still in the French Revolutionary War phase before the Napoleonic Wars began, William Pitt uh, suspended, uh, like Cash basically said that the bank. Okay, we should probably start from the beginning. And say that if you look at your pound notes in your wallet, you will see that they say, I promise to pay the bearer, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Raising everyone's false hopes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly, exactly. Which, which uh, when you're younger, you're like, what does that mean? What, what happened? It's, it's like, just a promise. And exactly. exactly. Like, oh, yeah, it doesn't no, no, mean anything. Yeah, and your parents are like, oh, that's just a thing. And yeah. It's like, no one knows. But actually, what it is, is back in the day, you would be able to go into the bank and say, I want my five pounds or whatever. Mm. And they would give, to, give it to you in gold. But... Because the bank was printing loads and loads of money for the government to pay for the war, uh, they were actually running out of gold. So William Pitt, uh, the Bank of England, that is, were running out of gold. So William Pitt said, okay, you know what, we're actually going to suspend the payments of gold to people and we'll just pay them with money, uh, with uh, paper. Right. And it's, yeah, and, and uh, so, I mean, the reason why, the reason why, reason why, obviously, this is sort of bad is because it just, inflation goes completely wild um, and prices go berserk and the money is almost, like, completely... 
worthless. And, yeah, exactly. Almost completely worthless, basically, in the end. Um, so a huge... I mean, when we see this in sort of like 1815 to about 1819, mm. um, there's yeah, a think, sort of bubble bubble erupting. I and, think the um, government then realised it needs to do something to actually yeah. try and one re, like build the economy back after yeah. war and then try and build more confidence in the pound. Yeah, exactly. Um, to yeah. Actually get it back onto a peace footing in some ways. So yeah. this is why they're doing it. It's yeah. why this is important. Yeah. Um, but it's surprising that they picked Peel to be yeah. the chairman. Yeah. He had no background exactly. in, yeah. in these type affairs. He had no knowledge of them either. So I think it's a, a quick sort of introduction to Peel himself in that he was, I think as we go see, he was quite a deep thinker and he was yeah. very, he was very um, yeah. willing to go and read around the subject and actually teach himself about it. So yeah. he wasn't just going to be there as a as an empty chair almost, yeah, yeah, he was there to yeah. go into actually chair it and he went away and actually learned the subject yeah. um, as opposed to just sitting there and letting other people get on with it. Yeah. I think that one of the comments I've actually I've made of Peel was that he was emphatic on facts as a basis of decision, devoted to clarity, order and good administration, <laughs> impatient of <laughs> wild concepts and empty phrases. What well, we wouldn't give for a few more like him today. <laughs> yeah, well, well this is what I was thinking, it's, like, it's so unusual, like, considering, considering, you know, it was sort of fairly... Fairly, uh, fairly straightforward. The government said, "Okay, we'll set up a committee to look at this issue." Mm. The committee said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, we should probably go back to gold because this is like destroying <laughs> the economy." Yeah. Um, uh, so, so they did. Yeah, and they, they, everyone kind of accepted yeah. it in Parliament. Whereas, 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 I mean, I mean, you know, you know without without wanting to make any political comments, so today obviously we we don't have a gold standard and we have only paper money. Mm. Uh, and no one's even thinking about going back to gold. It's just like, like okay, like do you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's, it's sort of. Just, just taken as a given, but um, yeah, and um, and Peel carried it through. Essentially, he did, and he got it through uh, a couple of years earlier than they were expecting as well. So yeah. he's kind of, yeah, he's here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> apologies. I think that's uh, that must be Trump's helicopter flying over. Anyway, apologies for that. We've actually closed the door now, so um, we're almost complete darkness as well. No yeah. one cares. Um, yeah, gone. Sorry. Um, so yeah, so so he he pushed it through. Um, so from eighteen nineteen to about eighteen twenty three. Gold, uh, gold payments were going to be restored in a series in a fa- in, in a phased approach. Yep. Um, there was massive outrage. Um, one of my one of my former uh, not heroes exactly, but a person I spent a lot of time on in my dissertation, Thomas Atwood of Birmingham, went absolutely ballistic um, and just hated the idea. Yeah, the industrious hated it. Yeah, yeah. And then William Cobbett was like, "This will be lead to universal ruin and millions dying mm. of hunger." Um, which, which um, I mean. Yeah, there was a little bit of a depression, but that was essentially a collapsing of a bubble. I mean, we won't go into too many details, but obviously not millions died of hunger. Yeah. Um, and I think it probably annoyed them even more that they managed to return two years ahead of schedule. Yeah. So they yeah. actually came back in yeah. uh, May 1821 yeah. um, to the gold standard. Yeah. Which was... and, 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 it, and it restored, it restored trust in the, it restored trust in, yeah, the, in, the long... in, the, in the in in the currency, and also as you mentioned, and uh, built foundation for people to build prosperity, yeah. which was in, integral to the whole 19th century. In the long run, it was definitely the right thing to do because yeah. it built up Britain's uh, sort of foreign exchange position, yeah. made them a trading power again. Mm. Gold actually did start coming back into the country, so yeah. the, the gold deficit, or no, the yeah. gold decline was redressed, yeah. and um, it was actually quite um, well received by people like the cotton industry, yeah. uh, who relied on imports yeah. for their business. Yeah. So I think looking forward, looking long view, it was good. Yeah. Short view caused problems, but well, any sort of big, yeah, big change exactly, is going to yeah. cause problems. Yeah. And you know, as you pointed out, they weren't as horrific as so the naysayers said in the first place yeah, they would yeah. be. So. Yeah. Just to uh, just to add to that, there was a uh, one entry into the uh, into Peel's log of pamphlets and evidence which came into the committee, which was from the Reverend Edward Copleston, later the Bishop of Landaff, who said, 
that to suspend cash payments in, 19, uh, in 1797 being a device justifiable at the lowest moment of the war against France, but to resume them was a sign of a God-fearing nation, confident enough to clear away the clutter of the past and keep bankers and politicians in their place. Well, there you go. There that's you go. Good words to end the Bullying Committee seminar, yeah. I think. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the uh, yeah, fitting end, yeah. isn't it? But um, it's, it's interesting you chose to use a churchman to round off that section, because the next, the next section is actually all about religion, isn't it? Indeed, it, indeed it is, yeah. See what I did there? Indeed, yeah. So, so, so what, what, what was the situation, as you understand yeah. it? Yeah, so basically, point? Catholic emancipation is the next issue we're going to be talking yeah. about. And it may seem a bit odd that you know, we're talking about Britain, the 19th century, and that it's Catholics that are the ones who are wanting sort of their rights and freedoms. Um, this all goes back to around 1688, mm, which mm. is what's called the Glorious Revolution, yeah. which is where the Catholic James uh, II was effectively kicked out by his daughter and his son-in-law, William and Mary, who were Protestants, and they were brought over by the Protestant gentry. Yeah. Uh, then, although the Protestants taken the throne, through the rest of the 17th and early 18th centuries, there was multiple like scares of Catholics yeah. coming back, the Stuart dynasty coming back and taking the throne. Yeah, yeah. So all these Jacobite anti- rebellion, effect, yeah, oh, Jacobite like rebellion, Culloden forty-five, all that stuff. Years ago. Yeah. Well, from from there, from there, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All you Outlander fans, all that type of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And not Reds under the bed, Catholics under the bed. But yeah, yeah. so it, effectively, I think it was a similar sort of yeah, paranoia. it was, it yeah. was, and there was all this this sort of a big system of anti-Catholic legislation and laws put in place, which. Mm. Barred them from things like holding office, yeah. um, but not just, placed not just Catholics fine, as well. Yeah, it was, actually, and, it was actually sort of a nonconformist as yes, well that were affected right. by the test. Anyone who wasn't an Ang- Anglican yeah. uh, effectively was discriminated against. Yeah. There were penalties for them pra- worshiping in their own way, mm. not attending mm. services, and that type of thing. So this is what, although a lot of the the laws weren't hugely enforced in the nineteenth mm. century, they were still there. There was mm. still a kind of like one a sort of stain on the yeah. reputation of Britain, and two quite. Um, awful had to live under if you yeah. were a Catholic or yeah. a, a non-Anglican yeah. uh, British person. And it was also, I would say, sorry, no, no, it's I, it was also it's practically quite awkward because you get yeah. in a position which obviously this this leads to the flashpoint, which is when um, Daniel O'Connell, who was the the main the leader of the Catholic Association, which is mm-hmm. the sort of you know, political lobbying, yeah, you know, it's an Irish radical, yeah, Irish radical, and um, campaigning for. Campaigning for Catholic emancipation and political rights for Catholics in Ireland, basically, yeah. uh, gets elected uh, in a seat in Ireland, County Clare. Yeah, County Clare in Ireland, uh, and is not allowed to take his seat in the Parliament. Yeah, um, it's a sort of it's a ludicrous situation whereby the what they call the forty shilling freeholders, mm-hmm. i.e., relatively wealthy sort of Catholic farmers, essentially have a vote, but if they vote one of their own, you know, one of their own religion in, they can't take their seat. Yeah. Ironically, he's allowed to stand, but he's not allowed to sit. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. so yeah. we're talking here about um, 1828 is when Daniel O'Connell becomes yeah. uh, is elected. Yeah. Um, so this we're talking about seven years after where we left off in the Bullion Committee. Yeah. Um, and this is the situation that faces uh, Peel and also Wellington. Yeah. Wellington also remember that he was sort of Anglo-Irish as well. Yeah. yeah. So he had he had some sympathies towards Ireland. Yeah. Sternly Protestant. Yeah, sternly Protestant. But um, Peel was. Uh, in his early days, nicknamed Orange Peel, yeah. um, because of his very pro Protestant yeah. sympathies and his dislike of giving any sort of anything to the Catholics yeah. and giving them I mean, any sort of rights. Pretty, 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 pretty. Uh, you know, there's a series of series of uh, sort of laws that he passes, which are pri- sort of aggre- assertive against Irish Catholics mm. in the period as well. Yeah, um, including just after this bill, actually. But but yeah. yeah. Right. So, but what we've got now is a situation of a man Catholic has been elected, a very vocal Catholic has been elected, yeah. um, but. You've got the now problem that he's 
technically not allowed to take a seat in Parliament. Yeah. So what do you do? Do you, as Wellington is the Prime Minister, do you try and just say, no, that's the law, mm. and potentially raise some sort of rebellion yeah. um, in Ireland? Or do you let him in and this risks angering people, in particular the King? Yeah. Um, King and King actually, and the, actually the, your own party as well. Your own party, yeah. King George IV yeah. was virulently against allowing yeah. um, Catholics to have their rights. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the king, the king basically still saw himself as a as a Protestant yeah, uh, uh, institution. Yeah, and defending the Protestant, yeah, you know, the Anglican Church, yeah. and keeping the constitution, which was pro-Protestant, going. Yeah, and then into this sort of situation, we've obviously got Peel, who, as you said, was virulently anti-Catholic to begin with, mm. named Orange Peel, but now he's in a government which is leaning more towards emancipation. Yeah, and he's tasked with kind of seeing the process through in mm. Commons because obviously. Mm. Wellington as a lord can't speak in the Commons, so mm. Peel goes to speak on his behalf and takes a lot of stick and abuse from, the, I think, his own backbenchers yeah. and also the opposition because he's kind of turned on his yeah. previous principles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Has he turned on his previous principles, though? Yes. Yes, he has. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <just> <laughs> well, funnily enough, I came across some text that was like, you know, um, uh, well, first of all, loads of people were upset by the uh, by this because yep. uh, you can see this in sort of cartoons of the period. Mm-hmm. Primary source. That's Cartoon yeah. of um, mother, is it mother Consti- or Mrs. Yeah, Constitution, Constitution being yeah. basically, well, molested Mole- yeah, by Wellington yeah. and... Uh, Smothered by Peel and then sort of sat on by Wellington. Yeah. Um, the sort of um, yeah, Mrs. Constitution. Mrs. Constitution, obviously representing the Constitution of 1688, and the other bit, which is in a series of letters to various confidants, uh, Robert Peel gradually gave himself, I suppose, some some room to make a to have a change of heart, essentially, on the issue, saying things like, "Oh, we think it's inevitable. I don't want it, but I think it's inevitable yeah. to to save the uh, to save you know British rule, essentially." Well, I think it's what he does time and again: is that yeah. he recognizes where. The, the mood is shifting to yeah. and he actually reacts with it so he's yeah. not necessarily just out of complete optimism changing his mind yeah. he's doing it because he thinks it's the right thing to do in Absolutely. some way like yeah. for the time um, I yeah. think he's, he's realised what's happening and the, he, he knows that to avoid worse things happening yeah. he needs to do something it's, I think it's sort of an analytical approach in the mm. sense that all the time he's judging whether the benefits and the costs weigh up yeah. uh, sorry how, the, how they weigh up and then as soon as the costs are more than the benefits he'll yeah, yeah I think so I think you know, this this um, approach from him to take a lot of abuse in the Commons, getting this through, yeah. um, is showing that he did, he did affect him in some ways because he offered to resign to Wellington yeah. and said it might be easy to get this, the, the legislation through without me. Yeah. And Wellington yeah. refused, yeah. said, no, we need you. Um, but it, all, it did culminate in 1829 with the Catholic Relief Act, yeah. which did away with the with the um, restrictions that were placed the on test them. Acts and the yeah. yeah, and the disenfranchising, so, disenfranchising act of seventeen eight twenty. Exactly. So you know that you, yeah. you know, all these things, were, all these options were suddenly open to yeah. um, to Catholics. So you could be yeah. an MP. You yeah. could take office as long as you weren't the Lord Chancellor, yeah. monarch, Lord Lieutenant of Ireland, or a non-ecclesiastical judge. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So there's still yeah. a few reservations, but in yeah. the main parts, you know, they were, yeah. they were gone. But I think one important thing we did mention off air yeah. was that. You mentioned earlier on was that you know these forty shilling freeholders were also yeah. elected O'Connell, yeah. um, and then he kind of, um, the compromise that was struck with the bill was that they were disenfranchised. Yeah, from well, I don't think the, I don't think all of them were disenfranchised. There was there was a I, I'm afraid he was increased to ten pounds. Was it? Oh, yeah, really? So, okay. they, so there you go. Um, yeah. he was lifted up so yeah. that you know the although so ten pound freeholders. Yeah, ten pound free. <laughs> yeah, basically, you, you had to be wealthier than a lot yeah. of a lot of the electors were yeah. to yeah. actually vote, um, which I think as we as you said to kind of typified almost the Peel approach, which was yeah forward movement with some with some restrictions. It's funny. It's it's funny because it's obviously like he's conceded the point about equality before you know equality of of, of religion or whatever. Not quite yet, but mm. he's moved in that direction. But he has doubled down on 
who should be voting, essentially, yep. if that makes sense. So it's, it's like, in, in a way, he's conceded the, the principle of equality, mm-hmm. in, a, in a way, uh, but, but, but um, sort of added on some additional restrictions yeah. to the other aspect of it. I've got two, um, I've got yeah, two kind of anecdotes to kind of, I think, sort of finish off this bit, yeah. um, uh, which is one, Peel lost a seat over the yeah. uh, Ferrari because... It's Oxford University. He right? was, yeah, by yeah. this point he moved to Oxford University, um, and a lot of his lecture were actually Anglican, uh, oh, really? ministers or, or Stranglands. Yeah. So when he well, put, I think, but you know, funnily enough, I think that was sort of one of the one of the requirements of their office actually to be Anglican. Um, mm. I mean, uh, you know, to, to be Ang- you, know, you, you weren't allowed to hold an office at the. Uh, you weren't allowed that would to make hold sense. Yeah, that would make sense. Universities, yeah. if you were. Yeah. I think that would make sense. Um, Sorry, no, 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 no. Um, so he lost his seat, but he, yeah. of course, uh, in the system, rotten Burroughs, he basically just went and got a new one. <laughs> so it wasn't horrific for him, but it was quite interesting that he was voted out yeah. over it. And then the second one, which I find. Uh, one of those classic moments of interest in history was yeah. so in the in the night before the Battle of Waterloo. Anyone yeah. who watched the film Waterloo will know there was the Duchess of Richmond's ball, yeah. which is where all the officers <laughs> arrived at, and then a strange legend turned up that that's where Wellington figured out what was happening. Yeah. Been back to you already, yeah. but yeah. So it, before before um, the Waterloo, this huge ball happened, and Duchess of Richmond's ball. After the vote um, went through and the bill was passed to emancipate the Catholics. Mm. The Duchess of Richmond invited all of Wellington's cabinet to her home for a dinner. When they got in to the, the dining same room, Duchess of Richmond? Yeah, the same Duchess of Richmond. <laughs> when they got into the dining room, she'd found they'd found that she placed two hundred stuffed rats all around the room Ooh. to show that they'd ratted on the constitution oh. and show her views on it. So, <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah. yeah so, so 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 that's that's huge. But um, should we move on to the, the yeah. almost the grand the, the, the pièce de résistance of um, Robert Peel's? Yeah, well, it's, the, it's the end of his story in many ways. It, it is. Say, yeah. In, 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 yeah. So he so he so he obviously um, he became. Pr- I mean, well, he he was elected as MP for Tamworth, wasn't he? So yeah, eighteen thirty, elected uh, elected in Tamworth. Uh, with his brother, with weirdly. His brother. Which is a yep. bit bizarre. It was like a joint And with seat. another set of brothers, the Townsends. The Townsends. Yeah, there's oh, like really? five of them all in that seat. So five seats. Two sets of brothers and one random guy. <laughs> Makes sense. Well, so yeah. when one of them was on holiday, the others were they on reserves or something? Yeah. I think, okay. I don't know. They all just pile into Parliament. And that's obviously something we need to uh, analyse 19th century parliamentary uh, constituency uh, details. But anyway. Guest experience by Jonathan this week. Anyway, so um, what we t- yeah, so so elected uh, MP for Tamworth in 1830, mm-hmm. became Prime Minister 1841. Yep. Uh, after a series of events, unfortunately, yeah, sorry, <laughs> series of events, and um, this is this is like his time to shine. Yeah, and what does he do with it? Well, just stuff I like, but you don't particularly like. Oh yeah, yeah, okay, okay, fine, yeah, yeah, yeah sure, sure. Um, so this is the point where he brings in stuff like Factory Act, Mine Act, yeah, Railways yeah. Act. Yeah, that's all. This is all this is Mr. Dross. Industrial yeah, Relations. Yeah. Yeah. Tim hates it. Mr. Anyone who, anyone who hates anyone who sort of likes good working standards probably likes. It. Yeah, 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 um, so but yeah. So what we're focusing on here um, is. The Corndles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is the the kind of like as you said, it's the ze- it's like the the climax of his political career yeah, is yeah. the is the debate on the Corndles. And actually, I think this is the one he's most remembered for. Mm. When 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 I mean, you know, take a recent recent example. David Cameron's always brought up uh, mm. as 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 reflecting a similar vein to Peel in the sense that he um, used yeah. the uh, he did the European referendum and split his party and supposedly you know that's it's never going to be a party again. Obviously, yeah. yet to be yet to be seen. But. Um, this is always compared to the Corn Laws, where Peel... Well, you could say... Gone? Cameron put party before country, whereas Peel put country before party. Yeah, exa- exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a similar... Yeah. But, I mean, yeah. Other, the other way around. Way around. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Exactly, yeah. Which, which could be an interesting... It's like the anti-Peel. Yeah, it could be, yeah, <laughs> it could be an interesting insight into 19th century history. Anyway, um, yeah, so... When he put through the anti... Yeah, when he, when he put through the, the... When he repealed the Corn Laws, it was a... Um, split the party... 
um, he was consigned to the dustbin of history himself. Mm-hmm. Well, the party was li- like he was facing the majority of his own party, over, yeah. wasn't he? And this is what, yeah. So, yeah. So a bit of background on the Corn Laws, yeah, yeah. Uh, were effectively it was in, there were a series of tariffs and restrictions, yeah. and as we explained in one of our episodes in the Cobden and Savaya Treaty, tariff is effectively a tax yeah. on a good that's being imported into the yeah. country yeah. to protect your own manufacturers yeah. from these evil um, yeah. foreign manufacturers. Yeah. Um, they put in in eighteen fifteen around that yeah. time to. Protect British producers. Well, yeah, so they're protecting. Yeah, so they protect. Yeah, so after the it's a post-Napoleonic um, law, isn't it? Essentially mm-hmm. designed, to, as you say, protect British farmers. Essentially, as trade resumed after the Napoleonic Wars ended, after the assumed blockades and yeah. various restrictions. Um, at what was it you said? Prices, Prices halved. Prices on great halved. So there's yeah. a panic amongst farmers. Mass, a lot of yeah, human hysteria yeah. among farmers, which are which are an extremely powerful yeah. lobbying group actually at this stage, aren't they? They're the big ones because yeah, manufacturers yeah. hasn't come quite got through yeah. there yet. But farmers, they've been there for eight, eight yeah. years. And they've yeah. got a landowners have got a big stranglehold on the land. Yeah. So and they're also almost all Tories as well. Exactly. Yeah, so, by the way. so the politicians need to do something to react, otherwise they'll lose their voters. Yeah. Which is the Corn Laws. Yeah. Which, as I said, kept, so effectively kept grain prices artificially high. Yeah. And made it just unsustainable to import grain because yeah, it'd be so yeah. expensive yeah um and this obviously damaged growth in other sectors because yeah people had less money to actually spend elsewhere exactly, they were paying yeah. ridiculous prices for their grain and their yeah. food um it hampered, de- yeah, hampered economic development big, for big, at least 30 big start, years yeah, yeah. Big um and so obviously people didn't just say there's lying down there were riots going on about it yeah um and one well, of our there were, sorry there were a series of i mean in 1819 for example i mean I don't, you know, we, don't, we don't know what the difference would have been 1819 obviously the peace of was caused mm-hmm. by and also the 1816 year without summer yeah um both of these events caused widespread sort of um panic about scarcity of food mm-hmm. um and obviously in peterloo in the, in the peace in peterloo they um they rioted about it but the um you know could this have been avoided yeah i think it's definitely there definitely would have been a factor because yeah. you can't you can't go away from the fact that it was extremely yeah, yeah. expensive to start buying mm. to buy your just the daily basics yeah. and it you know even if you could buy it it meant you couldn't buy other things to actually you know make your life a little bit more comfortable yeah. so it was I think it was a running sore that yeah. kind of fed into lots of different debates and different yeah. issues and we see that the dissatisfaction about it through the Anti Corn Law League which was founded by uh, and led by people like John Bright and Richard Cobden Indeed, who you mentioned yeah. in our Cobden Chevalier episode the heroes of the 19th exactly. century yeah. my, my heroes of yeah. the 19th century yeah. no, good moved on from the deal now yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no no just go into some other stuff yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that factory but, um, yeah. but yeah so you know but but I think it was their, their influence started the um, and Adam Smith of course but yeah. um, and Huskisson as well by the way he was a mm-hmm. big uh, he got run over by Stevens and the Rocket in the 1830s I think speaking anyway, to Wellington he, was that the guy who spoke to Wellington and Possibly. He was like making a bet with him and he got hit by the, by the, hit by by the, the train. train. Or maybe it was going like five miles per yeah. hour. Maybe he spent one beer. Yeah, but, um, but yeah, he, he was like, you know, he was big on free trade as well. He was like sort of, pre- I think he was president of the Board of Trade um, at some point. But he was always banging on about the corn laws and yeah. how they should be repealed and all this kind of stuff. And this this league was, it grew and then it was having mass rise of thousands of people. Yeah. Yeah. It printed pamphlets, uh, tens of thousands of pamphlets, which yeah. were reprinted in papers and magazines like The Spectator. Yeah. And it was, they were reprinted in America as well. So it was a, it was a big, big movement there. Yeah. We could just grow and grow over the years, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, yeah, and, and you notice the effects starting to come through into politics as well. The mm. Whigs, although they didn't repeal it, despite... Yeah, they had their they multiple opportunities. Yeah. They had multiple opportunities, they didn't, didn't actually repeal it. There's a guy called Charles Pelham Villiers, mm. carrying on the tradition of ridiculous names, <laughs> introduced a bill every year between 1837 and 45 and attempted to, <laughs> attempted to you know, a private member's bill. Peter Burnett is day. Yeah, exactly. And the, and, the, and the votes that were in favour of repeal gradually mm-hmm. increased, although they never actually passed. Yeah. Um, and um, the same with um, 
Peel's Peel's various budgets were quite quite amenable to freer trade as well. Mm, they sort Although, of like grew again, in that way, didn't they? they yeah, they, it was almost like a gradual snowballing effect, yeah. which resulted, uh, which uh, climaxed in the um, gigantic disaster, which was the Irish famine. I would yes. say. I think um, in eighteen forty-five. Yeah, and it was. Um, but by yeah, eighteen forty-five it started, and then I think eighteen forty-six, you've got letters from Peel yeah. becoming aware that it's actually quite a disaster. It's, it's yeah. a disaster kind <laughs> yeah. of thing. It's like it's something needs to be done. Yeah, it was like a quarter of the population was mm. lost. Uh, you know, either, either died or emigrated. Yeah. Basically, it's it like Ludicrous. seismic, yeah. you could say. Um, but yeah, so yeah, we've got this issue of huge famine in Ireland, mm. and a, which means a huge lack of food. Yeah, yeah. And the need, need to do something about it. So kind yeah. of like the moment has come in some ways. Yeah, you could yeah. say that would make it. The, the acceptable to do. Yeah. Like, well, it, the, obviously, the yeah, where... more and more people are obviously being convinced mm-hmm. on principle. Yeah. By this, by this trend uh, from from these bills and from um, from from Peel's various other budgets, but um, this is like the practical. This is the moment. Yeah. This Everything is like the, the yeah yeah the free trade stars have aligned. Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> and exploded. <laughs> mass starvation. Yeah. Of, of, um, <laughs> the massive yeah. Adam Smith face. But yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't know where I'm going with that. But yeah. yeah. So yeah, but but obviously fiercely opposed by him, members of his own party. Yeah. By the um, bulk of his own party, yeah. I should say. So he was relying on the Whigs and the Radicals. Yeah. To actually help him, help him out, and get it through. Yeah. And actually, I think Peel was like, "Oh, this is an emergency. We should rescind yeah. it by order of the council, mm. which is basically get the Queen's to do it. Yeah. Um, and we not have a, and have a vote you know, later on because it's like an emergency. So it's quite funny, uh, kind of like panic almost. Mm-hmm. It's just like so he was yeah as we said he was he was very important to move with his own party yeah uh, but peel took eventually took it through the commons yeah and then i think in that kind of like the final episode of their partnership wellington then took it through the lords yeah um kind of <laughs> it's like, almost like holding a tray of like yeah, i can't imagine wellington was much in favor of it personally but i don't know he obviously he did done it, it like so yeah so he was the one who spearheaded it through yeah. so i think maybe like the tray the kind of like the mirror of Catholic emancipation yeah. he wasn't yeah. particularly convinced at the time but did it for it's a, almost like they're the sort other. of partners in different well I think they were I think that yeah. it was the great partnership of the era almost like, <laughs> uh, but yeah anyway name me a more dynamic uh, more um, more dynamic duo the iconic duo yeah, yeah. <laughs> Gladstone and Disraeli uh, anyway yeah so um, feel more punch and G though yeah yeah that's fair. <laughs> Uh, Disraeli, yeah, talking of Disraeli, yeah. actually, Disraeli and Lord Bentick, who was like yeah. the the big the big opposition, who yeah. were um, worried that the the weakening of the landlord constituency of the you know the Tory party would be would would um, damage the social and political cohesion and the territorial constitution of yeah. Britain. Well, they yeah, and so these you should also mention that Disraeli was in essentially in Peel's party as well. Yeah, so he was it wasn't just like someone attacking him from across the forest. Like, yeah, he was going behind him and shouting down yeah. at him. He was attacked well, by both sides. Both well, sides. Well, was it both sides? Though? I think he was, to an extent, attacked by the other side as well. Right. But, um, for being a Tory. But yeah, but I think the main issue was coming from his own party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, even though the bill went through and then Wellington took it through the Lords, on the same day that Wellington got it passed in the Lords yeah. and it went up to the, for royal dissent, um, Peel lost a vote in the Commons hmm. um, and this was the, that was the trigger for the discontent and he resigned on the day that ah, actually went okay. through yeah, um, yeah. the Lords, so it kind of like it was literally... It was, a coercion, it was another Irish Co- coercion, coercion bill, bill. Yeah, wasn't it? <laughs> it was classic Peel, it's yeah. like every 10 years, it's like, oh, okay, it's the time to... Uh, yeah. Time for, time for some state-sponsored violence yeah. against minorities again. But yeah, um, yeah. so um, that, that went well. But yeah, so although, <laughs> although, although Peel fell, the, the good, you know, he did the right thing in the end, I think. Yeah, I, I think and so, He yeah. was quite magnanimous in his resignation speech, and he said he didn't ascribe the uh, sort of um, plaudits to himself, he said it was Cobden who... Yeah. the hero of the, of the of the movement and he was him that did the you know yeah. got it through in the end not not just peel yeah so he was quite sort of he was quite um 
generously as praise when he was yeah. designing. I think it's probably quite, you know, looking at the effects of what happened, it's quite important to point out that yeah. British agriculture wasn't like disintegrating overnight. It yeah. took about 25 years yeah. for it actually to fall, which was, you know, and that wasn't just because of the no yeah. tariffs, it was because shipping and yeah. got better. Well, I, think the then, ma- I think the main the main thing to remember is that basically if you've got, if you've got uh, you know, if you've got bad harvest conditions in Britain, they're yeah. probably going to be the same in Europe as well. They are. So yeah. in terms of short-term trade, it's really not, it's mm-hmm. really not made any difference. Yeah. It's not, I mean... Yeah, the thing Maybe that, it, made, it made some difference, but it is important to point out there was never another Irish famine, no. there was never another famine in Britain. Mm-hmm. And, I think the thing and that, as you say, it's American and yeah, Russian. The thing, yeah, the, it was the big prairie, prairie, prairie farms in America yeah. and the mass surf labour in Russia, mm-hmm. allied to in better shipping than yeah. did for them in the end because this, yeah. a huge tidal wave of grain came in from yeah. elsewhere. Yeah. But it's also important to point out that... Prices were slashed. Yeah, to point, yeah prices were slashed, but it's important to point out that Generally, good or proficient farmers mm. kept going. Yeah, absolutely. But it was the ones that were the farmers that undercapitalized mm. or mediocre yeah. who had to either get new jobs or emigrate. Yeah. So you know, it was that it was that classic thing of or build a factory. Yeah. Or, but yeah, so they had to yeah. they had to do something else or, yeah. or do something or leave. Yeah. So it, it wasn't like every farm in Britain was destroyed by it. It was yeah. some of them. And it's important to point out that when these big U.S. farms and Russian farms started their importing into different countries, mm. um, exporting. Uh, only Britain and Belgium didn't actually put up tariffs, so mm. you know, this was really the last time the big tariff thing was was in place in Britain. I think. Yeah, I think uh, it, uh, you know, in terms of my my image of nineteenth century history, this is like the the golden the moment. Yeah, it is. Well, it is because as you say, it's like only Belgium and Britain, mm. and Bel- Belgium was like probably about ten. Years, the government was about ten years old by this point, but yeah. um, kind of set Britain off the agricultural route and firmly yeah. put it onto the manufacturing route. So yeah. it did become the workshop of the world. They, yeah. they doubled down on manufacturing goods yeah. and supplying industry and yeah. make, and pushing forward that type of, that sort of technology yeah, yeah. and it's kind of like in a sort of a, a bit of you know karma it was disraeli who had been like um shouting at peel about yeah. um taking away the tariffs who in the end decided not to put the tariffs back in to protect british farms because yeah he'd just enfranchised <laughs> those of um urban workers and then couldn't yeah. make their food more expensive because they wouldn't vote for him yeah, so it's yeah. um yeah Classic. bit of yeah bit of just as that's sort of disraeli then Indeed, yeah. betraying his leader. <laughs> yeah, what a guy. Um, so I mean, what, I, I think one of the one of the interesting conclusions that I came to interesting, I think mm. I think uh, it's interesting uh, conclusions that I came to um, from what you were just saying was that Peel saw himself almost, you know, in general, saw himself as an instrument of the government rather than mm. he was there for him. Do you know what I mean? Like, where, where you know, some politicians would be like, you know, um, uh, they, I mean, they wouldn't say it out out loud, but they t- they act as if they are. Keeping themselves in power is the most important thing. Yeah. Whereas, whereas, Peel seemed almost on three, well, two separate occasions, ready to sacrifice himself, mm. his career almost for something that he thought yeah. was. Yeah, there, I think right. yeah, there wasn't really a cult of Peel <clears throat> anymore, yeah. was there? It wasn't yeah. like he it wasn't was, like, so wildly unpopular. I mean, I yeah. know he got elected, but like it's sort of wildly unpopular like, almost all the time as well. Mm-hmm. Like nobody, everybody hated him in the party. Yeah. I think this is what this is what you get for stuff that he did, which was tackle, yeah. like face up to the big issues that you you are gonna. Yeah. lose friends yeah, and like lose yeah. lose supporters over it but he, yeah. you know i think he saw the issues that needed to be tackled yeah. you know, again and again yeah. and he was the type of person who wasn't just going to ignore them or yeah. or um walk away from them but he was actually going to try and resolve them in a situation which kept as much um balance in the system as yeah. possible so yeah. i think that's what we're doing you know, he saw that the corn laws were supported by his own party but he also saw that if he didn't repeal them there could be more trouble yeah. down the line yeah. catholic emancipation again he wasn't overly in favour to begin with, but he saw that there would be violence and trouble if he didn't do it, so yeah. he had to do it. Yeah. I think that's, that's the common theme in his, Absolutely, in his yeah. thing, that he takes a necessary action, even if he doesn't fully believe in it straight away, that yeah. he goes away and thinks about it, comes yeah. back and decides, actually, this is it's the probably the right course of action. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, I was going to say as well, I mean, just purely on his personal perspective, so I was talking about earlier, it was like the, the fact that he was sort of new money and a bit mm-hmm. of an outsider to the yes. party meant that he didn't, unlike some of the other people in the party, see the party as a sort of community. Yeah, or, yeah, or, yeah, exactly, like a community that you can't really... You know, he saw it as a practical vehicle for getting stuff done mm-hmm. uh, rather than just you know sort of doing things just to keep yeah. the chaps happy kind of thing. Yeah, it wasn't a thing um, of, of itself. It was there to do yeah. something rather than just protect yeah. interests. And I think his, his, the fact that he was sort of seen as an outsider meant he was less ingrained within it mm-hmm. and didn't have that, yeah, mm, definitely. didn't have those... Um, Scruples, I suppose, yeah. when it came to that point. Um, you got any final thoughts on this? I know well, it's, been, it's been a very short episode. I feel like I feel like it's sort of a mini episode. It is, but it's, it's leading on to the next one, which Indeed, is. Yeah. Uh, do you want to give a quick uh, before we go into final thoughts of this episode? Do you want to just quickly trail, trail the next on? episode? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, well, first of all, I should also trail our our email list, which you can mm-hmm. join on fitnesshistory.com/join, um, where you'll find some fun. Um, basically, whenever we're not doing a podcast. A, a, a podcast we are podcast episode rather we are writing little blogs or fun facts about history which we will make entertaining for you in your in, for your email inbox um, keep you up to date with various episodes that we're doing and um, so forth uh, so that's one of the first things the second thing is yes Next episode, we're going to talk about the dark side or the downside well, appeal. Tim's downside appeal. Yeah, I'm well, just my 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 yeah my. Yeah, my <laughs> I suppose so. I mean, my assessment. Well, well, I think we should leave it for suspense. Yeah, well, yeah, we're actually. leaving suspense, but we're doing peel yeah. again next time. Yeah, and yeah, shall we say it's Tim's hit list appeal rather than Tim's yeah. praise list appeal? Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so but yeah, I think further reading. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, uh, one of my one of my one of my key bits of further reading was Douglas Hurd's book on Robert Peel, which is obviously biography. Tory on Tory. Indeed, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and written by politicians, so I was sort mm-hmm. of prepared for a sort of, um, a, you know, a puff piece kind of account of just some guy, but um, that happened to be in the same party. But um, it was actually, you know, quite, quite good, got good on the details, especially in the personal aspects of his life, which I think are surprisingly important for political history, actually. Mm. Especially when there's such a, when the people at the top are quite limited in their, Circles they tend to be personal in their motivations mm. rather than principled, but maybe peel as the contradictions that. Yeah, uh, my one would be uh, it's a website called historyhome.co.uk mm. and it's got within it the peel web, which, which is <laughs> which is effectively it's a huge summary of all the issues that peel dealt with, yeah. plus links to primary sources and further further reading. So yeah. it's kind of like central in some ways yeah, but uh, yeah. it's very it's very interesting it's got all everything we talked about here yeah. is covered in more depth there as well so i think it's a good place to go to in the first instance yeah that's excellent uh, it's almost as good as franco-prussian war doc yeah <laughs> it's, it's almost le- almost more niche somehow yeah i feel like the peel where yeah. Sure. Yeah. probably yeah. is because, but, yeah it's a very specific yeah. politician in the 1830s which no one ever cared about but um <laughs> until now until now exactly yeah well we hope you enjoyed the episode and we'll catch you next time for more peel fun indeed Thanks for listening to this episode of Footnotes of History. For more episodes, visit footnotesofhistory.com and while you're there, why not sign up to become a historical legionnaire where you have access to our blog, one-page cheat sheet downloads, film and book reviews, and up-to-the-minute updates on every episode release. Thanks for listening.